Yo, what's up, everybody? My name is Aswan. I'm one of the pastors here. Big shout out to everybody um, tuning in online with us. Um, man, when I think about my childhood, uh, one of the cool things about my childhood is the fact that my pops uh, had some friends, some men uh, in his circle that became uh, people for my circle. Uh, when my dad didn't have the resources um, or the answers to things, this circle became a place where I could go to get the answers and get resources. And I realized that at growing up with a lot of my friends not having that circle, I remember uh, I realized that that became something really unique. Um, but what was cool is out of this circle, um, one person really emerged, his name was Ted Gustus. Now, uh, we affectionately call him coach. Um, everybody in the Brooklyn community, uh, the basket, Brooklyn basketball community, his kids, his wife, everybody calls him coach. Uh, it's just a term uh, that he that was endeared to him. Um, and what was cool is it was kind of or, or rather ironic. I actually never played for him. Uh, coach never coached me on a basketball team, but he became really like this coach of life for me. Um, and so growing up, what I remember, um, although I experienced a lot of coaching and I've seen a lot of coaching, some coaches were good, some coaches were horrible, they should not be coaches. Uh, one of the things that I started to realize that was different about coach is coach cared more about the character of his players than he did their performance. Yo, I remember I had to be in like the sixth or seventh grade and my pops uh drove down to watch one of coaches game. He was a coach at the time at Nazareth High School. And so we get in the gym and I see one of his best players uh, on the bench and I'm looking up at the clock. I'm like, yo, this is a key part of the game. And I remember talking to him afterwards and what he cared more about was, was shaping the character and the heart of his players and his team than he did about the conduct of winning. And that was mind blowing to me. I'm like, yo, that's amazing. He cared more about the character of his team than winning. <laughs> and what's dope is because he did that, he actually became a very uh, winning coach. That was his secret sauce, his secret ingredient. And you know, as I began to think about it, God is like that too. In many ways, um, I believe God cares more about my character than he cares about my conduct. See, in 2005, when I started working with an organization called Young Life, man, I remember the moment I stepped into that role. I'm like, yo, I got to sound holy now. You know, I got to do all the right things. Um, um, every time I go out, I got to I got to be in, in front of people and I got to meet with people and I got to do all the right things. And even still now, to some degree, I wrestle with that notion that I got to go out and do the right things. But every time I went out to try to do something, man, it felt like God was tugging on my heart. It felt like God would show me a mirror and say, yo, you have to become somebody before you could actually go out and do the things I'm calling you to do. And that for me was, was sobering, but it was powerful because I realized that God cared more about my character than God cared about my conduct. Now, um, I think the same is true for you. Now, let's not get it twisted. I'm not saying uh, I don't want to minimize anybody's behaviors and the things that you actually do. I'm not, I'm not saying that. And, and I don't think Christianity uh, gives license for people to just do whatever they want to do. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying I think God is a little more concerned with our hearts than he is the things that we actually do for him. 
Um, as I became more familiar with the Bible, I realized that I'm not alone. Yo, when you look at the Bible, you see dudes like Moses and how uh, popular Moses became. This dude parted a, a whole sea, <laughs> a whole sea. Yo, and, and Moses, when he parted this sea, what we don't get to see is he spent 40 years in the, in the wilderness. He spent time with God behind the scenes and God was shaping and molding his heart. We see a dude like David, Everybody, you know, if you've been around church by any stretch of the imagination, you've heard of David and Goliath. You've seen, you've heard about David being this great king and this mighty warrior. But yo, David was the least of his his brothers and his and his line. Um, David was the one that nobody was really checking for. And he spent time before he could get to be in this mighty warrior. He was working with a slingshot and doing stuff. God was working on his heart and molding and shaping him so he could be this king and this mighty warrior. When you think about a dude like Paul, who, whose, whose name used to be Saul and then God changes it to Paul, this dude, Paul, was literally on a horse, gets knocked off his horse, um, and before he becomes this very popular uh, church planter, when he was knocked off his horse, this dude, Paul, spent three days blind, not eating, where God was shaping and molding his heart and his character so he could be who God wanted him to be. Now, I'm not saying there's anything magical about the hearts of these people. These dudes were flawed. These dudes were super messed up. And the only reason they are who they are is because God entered their life and he began to change them from the inside out. And I think the same is true for you and for me. God cares more about my character. God cares more about your character than our conduct. And listen, it, it, God cares about what you do. <laughs> Don't get it twisted. I'm not saying that. God does care about what we do, but I do believe God cares more about our character than just our conduct. And look, we get to see that in the Bible. It's supported in Matthew 15. My son Matthew, when he's writing his gospel account, listen to this exchange that he records with Jesus and these religious leaders. It starts in Matthew 15, verse 1. Then Jesus was approached by Pharisees and scribes from Jerusalem who asked, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they don't wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, why do you break God's commandment because of your tradition? Hypocrites. Isaiah prophesied correctly about you when he said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching as doctrines, as doctrine human commands. In this, in this exchange, Jesus is clearly saying the, the, the outside, um, the things that you're focused on, the duties that you're doing, um, yes, they're important, but what's more important or what's equally important, if not more, is your heart and your character. And God cares more about our character then he cares about our conduct. Now, today, we're gonna look at a scripture that is pretty straightforward. Now, if you've been around church for any period of time, if you, if you grew up in the church, big shout out to you. Um, this message, uh, this portion of scripture comes from um, Matthew 5, which is known as the Sermon on the Mount. In Christian circles, this is uh, the, the, the longest recorded 
um, conversation or speech that Jesus gives. And and what I want to do really quick, uh, you know, to everybody who's familiar with this, I do want to ask you for a moment, just stop and pray. I want you to pray against the familiarity because uh, you could be so close to this passage. You could be so familiar with it that you lose the awe, that you, you, you lose the beauty and the breath of what God wants to speak to us through his word. So if you've been around church and you know this, cool, we're going to get into it. We're going to talk about um, what, what the passage means, but I do want you to pray against it being familiar. Now, if you're not familiar with this, um, there is some context I want to give us because uh, this is a very dope passage in many ways, because as Jordan talked about last week, you know, this scripture, this speech is coming off the heels of Jesus spending 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness with no food, no water, fasting, and, and really soaking up God's word. And then it says, after that time is when Jesus began to start ministry. It was there when he came out of this fast that he then is healing people and he's, he's doing miracles and he, he's doing what Jesus does. And then because of the popularity of Jesus at the time, crowds began to form. People started following him. And I, that's one thing I want to make sure we don't miss. Like if you look in the scriptures, a lot of people, a lot of crowds wanted to be around Jesus. And when we talk about it, uh, I, I want to, as we talk about our pa- passage today, I want you to be thinking about that. Do our people, do people want to be around you if you're a Christian? That's something to really think about. But we see that there's crowds really following Jesus. And then because of his popularity, he says, yo, I'm about to take my disciples. I'm going to take my students. I don't want them to misconstrue all this fame and everything that's happening. Let's go up on this mountaintop. And I'm actually going to share with them what what ingredients are necessary to be followers of Jesus. Uh, It's in this passage where we get to see what it really means, who you need to be, who, who you actually should be and are when you say you follow uh, the person of Jesus. Now, it's found in Matthew 5, like I said, and I'm going to start at verse 13. Listen to this. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. So here it is. It's pretty straightforward. Uh, Jesus is telling his disciples, this is who you are. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. He's not telling them, yo, these are all the things you have to do. And he will. There is a time where Jesus is going to be very clear about what they need to do. But here he's making sure that they understand this is who you need to be. You need to be salt. You need to be light. <laughs> the, the way I like to think about it is like this. Um, yo, I'm from Brooklyn and I, I kind of have a Brooklyn bop. And so you could put me in London. You could put me in Tokyo. You could put me in Toronto. You could put me in any city. 
but I'm still gonna be from Brooklyn. Why? Because it shaped me. It's who I am. It's how I function. And so you could take the boy out of Brooklyn, but you can't take the Brooklyn out of the boy. You know what I'm saying? And in the same way, God is saying, this is the character and the heart and the nature of what he wants his followers to look like. You could put them in any circumstance and they're gonna be salt. You could put them in any circumstance and they're gonna be light. And that is one of the main reasons I really love this passage. So in order to talk about this, to be, I mean, we have to look at the properties and the characteristics of salt, right? Like why use salt here? And you know, one of the main things, and, and I think this goes without saying, but one of the main things we, we know at the time is salt was used as a preservative. And so uh, people in, in, in biblical times, uh, when they bought meat, when meat was around to preserve it from bacteria so it wouldn't spoil, they'd lather it up in salt and salt had this preserving quality to it. Well, in the same way, what Jesus is, is saying to his disciples uh, on this sermon, um, on this mountain, he's saying, yo, you are not to, to be somebody who's just walking around earth to be regular. For those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus, um, in order to be salty, uh, you have to have a preserving quality that is exhibited in the earth. And listen, you know, we see the need for this. Like our world is poisoned by sin and destruction and our world is decaying and the earth is decaying, which is why Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth because the earth needs preserving. The earth needs to be preserved uh, because it's decaying and dying because of sin. And look, <laughs> We see that like in our current events right now, uh, we see the, the decay of our society unraveling right before us. We saw some violent people attacking and, and running up on Capitol Hill. And we see the, the, the fabric of our world literally crumbling before our eyes. So what better time? What better time than now for the people who say, yes, they believe in Jesus to actually exhibit the preserving character of Christ? And here's why, because, because you were preserved by Jesus. You, the Christian was, the story of the Christian is that we were on our way to decay and death. Uh, the sin condition of our hearts were sentencing us to death. And because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus, our lives have been preserved. And so now we are to go into the world. We are to be in the earth to be salt so people can taste and see that the Lord is good in that same way, right here, right now. Yet the church has uh, uh, somehow has chosen to preserve power and to preserve image. But that's not what Jesus is saying we should be in this. He's saying you should be salt. And yo, what's crazy is you're either salt or you're not. Yo, that, that's the true reality. You're either salty or you're not. There was no way to make salt salty again. It couldn't go back on meat and, and preserve it more once you put it in something else to make it more salty. You're either salty or you're not. And Jesus is saying his followers in every situation, in every circumstance are to be salty. You are salt. The Christian is supposed to, is supposed to be salt. Now, he also says one of the other things about um, the, the, the characteristics of salt is salt makes people thirsty. And I had to look this up a little bit, but uh, I really I really got a little mini um, um, lesson. What, what happens when we in, eat salt in, in our own diets, 
Like the salt goes into our bloodstream and our blood actually becomes a little more salty. And then what happens is our body recognizes that and says, yo, check this out. The blood is a little salty. We see the blood cells are taking the water from the rest of our body. So they send a signal in our brains. We have a thirst center. And so the, the nodes, the, the electric nodes go up to our brain and it registers like, yo, you need to drink water because the salty blood cells are taking water from your body. Then in turn, we get thirsty. Yo, that's, that's dope, right? Yo, look it up. I'm telling you, I did my research. That joint is true. There's a thirst center in our body. And what Jesus is saying in this, in, in much like what salt does, uh, where it taps on the thirst center in our brains, Jesus is saying the character and the heart and the nature of his followers, uh, we are to go as we are in the, the earth and in the world and around people, we are to make them thirsty for Jesus. And I know, look, I know even as it came out of my mouth, I know that sounds cheesy, but yo, it is true. The person who follows Jesus is the one who's, who's supposed to have such an attractive life that when people see it, they're like, yo, I want what he has. I want what she has. And look, um, all of us, you know, life hits every human being and circumstances and tough situations hit us all. The difference for the people who put their faith and trust in Jesus is that we have an anchor in Jesus. Uh, we hold on to him and there's a, a level of peace that we can't just muster up. That level of peace happens supernaturally. And when people from the outside see that the supernatural presence of peace in the midst of chaos, they start saying, yo, I want that. I need that in my life. Name a person, even right now in the midst of a pandemic and, and all the situations happening, uh, the fact that, you know, there are basketball games being postponed. That's crazy. Um, yo, there is this, this need for peace in the midst of chaos, trying to figure out what's gonna happen with, with schools and how do we protect kids? How do we protect our loved ones? There's so much chaos, but the church, the people who follow Jesus, we are the ones who on the inside, there's a peace that we just can't quite, quite, quite explain. And when people do ask us, we point them to Jesus, making them a little more thirsty. Um, we are to be salt. That's what Jesus says. The Christian is supposed to be the salt of the earth. Now, Jesus also says we are to be light. And look, there's a lot of things we can say about light. Uh, but here's one. In, in John, the gospel of John, when John is writing his account, he tells us that Jesus is the light of the world. And, and Jesus makes this claim. And so the, the truth about light here is Jesus is the ultimate light. And what's beautiful about that is that uh, our hearts were dark. Our hearts were covered. Uh, we were poisoned by sin and death. And the light of Jesus, the death of his, uh, his death and his resurrection, he became the light for us. Um, but John also says that that light is life. And that's what's so dope. The beauty about the Christian story isn't that we just get second chances. He's not just the God of second chances. He's the God that brings dead things alive. He's the God that, that takes dry bones and makes them come alive. And so when Jesus is talking to his disciples here on the Sermon on the Mount, what he's saying is when you go into the world, you are to be the beacon of hope. You are to be the presence 
of life where everything around you is decaying and dying, your life is, suppo- is supposed to stand out uh, and, and show people where life is. Um, one of the ways I was thinking about this is uh, imagine if all of Harlem was dark and um, there were just lampposts all on Linux Ave. The beauty about it is sometimes people don't know where to get the light, but when they see it, they could run to it. And so uh, our lives have to be so attractive. And, and when light shines in darkness, all you need is just a little bit of light. And sometimes the world, sometimes people, you have friends, you have people, maybe even you right now, there are moments in our lives when we just need a little bit of light. And Jesus says that the Christian, the church is supposed to be the light of the world. We're not supposed to be hidden under a lampstand, uh, under a table, excuse me. We are supposed to be up on top of the table, shining bright so people can see where hope is, so people can see where love is. You are salt and you are light. That is the truth of the gospel message. And that's both an encouragement for you, but it's also a litmus test. And and I found one of the most sobering uh, uh, verses uh, that I've ever read in all of scripture, all of my time studying scripture, one of the most sobering things is is found in Matthew 7. It says this, um, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we drive out demons in your name and do many miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. Yo, that is sobering. Yes, it's an encouragement that you are salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. But unfortunately, there are some people who are who claim to be Christians, who say that they are Christians, but their lives don't exhibit this saltiness and their lives are never lit with the hope and the love and the truth of Jesus. And oftentimes the church gets ridiculed for these inconsistencies where, uh, you know, Christians are supposed to do these particular things or be this particular way. But some of these things are not not inconsistencies. What the truth is, some people who say they're Christians are not. And there's going to be a time, there's going to be a reckoning day when when they're like the person who's outside of the event shouting out, yo, I know him, I'm with him. And the person in the event looks like looks back and says, nah, I don't know them. There will be a time where there are people who say, Lord, I was, I was rocking out. I was doing it for you. And he'll say, but your heart wasn't with me. Your, your lips were honoring me, but your heart was far from me. And that is both an encouragement and a litmus test. To the Christian, hear me, Renaissance, you are to be salt. You are to be salty. Where, where you are preserving uh, the moral fabric of the world, where you are, um, are be making people thirsty so they can hunger and see Jesus. And you are to be light. You are to be a beacon of hope. You are to be life in, this, in death, in the midst of death. When everything is decaying and dying, you are to be the beacon of life in those moments. That is the truth of who you are. Man, I want to end with this prayer. I'm unworthy of the gift you gave, but because I speak the gospel, I'm going to preach for days. 
You said you know me like a book. <laughs> you could flip my page. You said the world's gonna be shook when you split the grave, so Holy Spirit, come make me over. Please take my heart in your hand, come make it over. I need a lot of courage, make me your soldier, put your fire in my heart. Please make me bolder, Holy Spirit, step right on in. Please search the hearts of the people. Shed your light on sin. Be hard. Don't be light on sin. Believers and unbelievers, you can shed your light on them. So Holy Spirit, come walk with me. Come park in my heart. It's not enough for you to talk to me. Holy Spirit, be the salt for me so I can walk around this earth and be salt for free. I want to grow, Lord. Please take me higher. No, not rich. Don't make me flyer. See, the power that I got, you the great supplier, and it's an honor for me to serve the great Messiah. So unleash the fire, release a rider, come shape me like dough from a pizza parlor. Cause of you, I got strength when I seek the Father. Show me how to share your word, be the streets provider. Lord, increase desire to a deeper fire so I could be salt and light, plus reach the choir. Every line that I speak, I hope, each inspire people to walk with you or at least inquire <laughs> why your name's so rich and exalted higher. How you walked on water with no sorts of wires. How people make decisions without talking prior. We disobey God, then we fought the liar. <laughs> Lord, reach real deep, interrupt my speech so I could be salt and light and uncorrupt my streets or at least bring peace to the hearts of men. We got to listen to the spirit because it starts with him.